Well, good morning. I forgot to shut my phone not only off, but I had it like in my coat, so that would have been. I have friends out there that will call me in the middle of messages just to make sure my phone is off, which is a horrible thing to do to somebody. Well, my name is Eric. I'm the campus pastor here. Love that you're here. We love this community. And today we're going to talk about stories, <clears throat> the power of stories. And I've, I've teased you a little bit the last week or so and on Facebook saying there's two stories that if you know these two stories and tell these two stories, it will impact your life. It'll impact the lives around you the other six days. I know one of the stories. The other one, I don't know. But I'm going to help you tell both of those stories by the end of our time together. That's where we're heading. But before we do, I would be curious as to what some of your favorite stories are. And let's break it down a little bit. Uh, How many of you have a favorite childhood story or a story that you love to read or tell to your kids or grandchildren's nieces, nephews? Is there a childhood, a, a, a child story that you love? Shout some of them out. I'd love to hear Runaway bunny. People are going to like know most of these. What else? Winnie the Pooh. All right. That's a classic. Good night, moon. What is it? Fox and socks. Is that Dr. Seuss? Yeah. Walter the party dog? Oh. All right. I'm not familiar with that one. All right. Well, how about, is there a current story that you love? It could be a TV series, movie, uh, a book, uh, something that currently you're engaged with that you love. Any of those stories you want to shout out? Are none of them appropriate? Like, what's going on? This is Us. How many watch that show? Yeah, well, there you go. What is it? The Good Doctor. That's a new one, right? Do we have any of those? Yeah, we have lots of good doctors. Yeah. Well, Seinfeld. Friends, we might as well throw cheers in there. I was heartbroken. The last episode was my senior year of college, and I had a Sam Malone jacket, and so we decked out in our cheers gear and went and reminisced on our favorite episodes. I'm sure some of our stories could be classic stories, stories that have endured decades or even centuries. Some stories are maybe emerging stories. They're being written right now. Uh, You're in the midst of a a new story, and some stories have had some endings recently. Over the last year, I have, uh, I think, discovered story through Netflix and some other TV series. My wife, Sue Ann, has been encouraging me, like, you need to find a show. And I I think it wasn't so much that she just authentically wants me to get engaged in the show as much as it gives her space to watch her show, like she just needs me out of her hair a little bit. But over this last year, I have felt like a Wyoming sheriff watching Longmire. I have felt like a U.S. Marshal in the eastern hills of Kentucky watching Justified. I, my back has been strengthened and my hands have been toughened building the Transcontinental Railroad through a show called Hell on Wheels. Um, that's maybe a little edgier. All of these are a little. Um, but then on, you know, the movie, A River Runs Through It. <clears throat> There's this great line in the beginning where Norman McLean says, my father was a Presbyterian minister and a fly fisherman. 
And I'm like, that's the dream right there. <laughs> Did you know Dave Bianchin, one of our pastors in our care ministry, he served at a church in Downers Grove for years. Did you know he actually is a Presbyterian minister who was asked to serve at that church in the movie in Missoula, Montana? He declined it. One of his friends ended up taking the job. And I said, Dave, for all that is good and for the love of God in this world, if that opportunity comes back around again, like, look no further. I mean, I love you guys, but like, Missoula, like, wow. Um, Stories travel with us, don't they? They can shape us, they capture us, especially when we tell stories and when we live into and out of stories. The two stories that I truly believe will impact not just your life, but the, the lives around you, the other six days, in fact, that can even change the world, are these. It's your story. Your story that I don't know so well, but I'm going to teach it to you today or teach you how to unpack it. And then it's God's story. Those two stories are a witness because they speak to God's activity in the life of this world and his life in you. And I hope by the end of our time, you're going to see just how significant your story and the story of God is in your life and in the lives of others as we begin to tell those stories. Dan Allender is an influential Christian psychologist, counselor. He's written many books. He's spoken at conferences uh, over decades. And I heard him say this once. He said, God is the author of your story. And if God is the author of your story, then your story is a masterpiece. So tell your story. Because masterpieces are meant to be on display, are meant to be shared. And he would also say, if you do not tell your stories... The stories that you, maybe from years back, that if you don't tell those stories, you actually will lose those stories. Brain and memory science uh, supports this as well, that you actually are losing chunks of your story that you will no longer be able to recall or tell if you don't tell your stories. I think this is why God was so passionate, in the, especially in the Old Testament, <clears throat> we see over and over again these feasts, these festivals, the whole calendar year for God's people were laid out in a way that they would remember, that they would gather around tables like we're going to do next week, and that they would tell the story of God in their life, the different periods, the different things that God was doing in their story. He did not want them to forget. He did not want them to lose memory of it because those were the things that shaped them. Not just their past, but called them into their future as well. I do believe God is the author of your story and my story, which means he has been pursuing, protecting, shaping, disciplining, walking alongside, nudging you all throughout your life. The questions are, have you recognized it? Have you seen it? Can you point to those stories, like actually God's story? This is his lifeline of stories and our story. Really, they're a collection of stories. And God is in all of it. But do we have the eyes? Have we we recalled and seen his movement and activity in our lives? To help you tell your story, to help you see this, I want to show you a little exercise. It's something that I came across 15, 18 years ago. Uh, And actually, I've gotten away from it. Like, even thinking about this and and sharing this with you has sparked me to want to return back to what I just simply call my lifeline. 
And this is what I would encourage you to, to do. Actually, our, our groups that meet this morning, one-hour connection groups, if you want to come an hour, hour and a half before worship service, we have men's, women's, mixed group that you can connect. And they, they already started thinking about this. But this week, I, wanted, I want you to give a little time and attention <clears throat> to the lifeline. And here's how it goes. You have a line that you can draw. You can do this on a piece of paper. You can take a journal, whatever you want to do. Do it on your computer. And at the beginning is, we'll just call it birth, right? I think all of us have, been, have a beginning there, right? And then the arrow that keeps going is our life up until now. And then you can segment it however you want. There's early years, there's middle years, there's more recent years. But as you think about your story, you start seeing all of these other stories. Sometimes we can call them turning points. There's, there's these moments where something shifted in your life, something that was significant. Sometimes it's just a story that you keep telling over and over again. And some of those are, we would say, good stories. They're positives. They're happy. Other stories are hard, negative. They they're, have disappointments or loss or whatever it is. So we just kind of chart those. You know, is it above the line, below the line? But make no mistake, every single one of those stories are important. And they need to be told. They need to be remembered. And, and one of the stories that is not up there that I'd want you to chart is kind of your own story of conversion or faith when God became real in your life. Some of you grew up in the church, and there's not like a day, um, but you know there was a time when, you know what, I started living with, you know, God as kind of Lord of my life. For others of you, especially if you've come to faith uh, in your middle or more recent years, like it might be kind of a day where you're just like, this is where it began for me. And that's good to put that story up there. And just kind of write down what was going on. What was the context? What, what, was there something that stimulated that kind of my response? Or how did I grow into it? And how has my life been impacted since then? And in all of these stories, you can just write them. You know, I think of, um, I have this just distinct memory of uh, getting yelled at at the dinner table all the time because we had these prolific wiffle ball games, football games going on with all my neighborhood buddies. And especially when the game was in your backyard, but it was time for dinner, right? And the game had the pause. And you eat dinner like I'm eating. But like I just, I love that story. I love that memory. So I just, you know, write um, sports backyard dinner. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative because I was always getting in trouble for that. But I remember it as a positive. But you just put the names of those stories. And what you can do is take another sheet of paper then. And you just write that title and you just write out, write out that story. Recall that story. And then some of the questions you will want to ask after that is, what did I learn? How did that shape me? Uh, where was God or what was God doing in that story? So often we will not see God's movement and activity in our lives until sometimes years, sometimes decades later, which is why we need to return to our stories, play them out, remember them, and, and look for God in them, right? And how did this story shape my life? Did, was that a turning point that led to a trajectory that um, takes, is responsible for even where you are today? That exercise, if you think about it, all of a sudden, your life becomes this collections of stories, uh, and, and you start seeing threads. You, you, would not, you will be surprised to see some themes that God has done in your life that you don't even know now but you will when you start charting this out and start, you know, you know praying, asking the Holy Spirit, say, God, you know, reveal to me what, what you were doing in my life, 
you know, during these experiences. And some things will emerge that are going to, that will shape your life, that could shape it in a new way even beginning this week. And what you now have are all of these connecting points, all of these stories that now can be shared with others. Connecting points, because we're going to find some commonality, and some of our stories are going to find common in, in common with other people's stories. Um, it's a powerful, powerful thing, and I hope you see, because God is at work in your story. Like, this is part of the gospel reigning out in our world today. He's doing it through you and through your stories. God's continuing to write his story for his love of this world, his redemption of this world, and you are part of that story that he wants to proclaim, to tell its good news for others. God is the author of your story, so know your stories. Tell your stories. But it'll take a little homework to do it. I was even thinking yesterday... Like, this could be a really cool exercise that you could do this really the whole rest of your life. There's going to be new things that pop up. Maybe you take some time to, to refresh or go back and read and review, kind of like God was calling people to do in the Scriptures. But what a gift you could give your kids or your grandkids one day, kind of this spiritual charting of your life's line of what you've learned, what shaped you, and what God was doing throughout your life. There's probably lots of other creative things that you could do with that. Um, but I promise you, it will, you'll be surprised at how, when you start doing this, how it can touch your own life. That's the first story. The second story is God's story. It's a story of God from creation until now. Um, and it's what the Bible calls good news or the gospel. We've heard that term. Uh, oftentimes when I say, well, what does that mean? And that's when it's like, you know, remember I talked about like the back scratch. I, it seemed like you were engaged, but you didn't want the teacher to call on you. Like that was one of my great tricks getting through high school and my middle school years. Um, but the gospel means it's to proclaim. It's to herald. It, it wasn't an original term to the church or to the New Testament. Like it was a common term actually in the culture. But for the church, for Christians, gospel became the story of God. And the story of God found its center in Jesus. But something has happened in the story of God, I feel like, even over the last 75 years, the last century. It's been reduced down so much that I, I don't know that we've <clears throat> quite done justice to the story in a way that it really brings the impact, how it really gets in us, where it captures our imagination and calls us into it. <clears throat> Here is what I think the gospel has become over the last few years. And, and I, I want to walk through this because I think most of you, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, most of you would say like, yeah, I think I kind of know or whatever, but many people lack confidence. To actually, if someone, if one of their friends say, you know, what is the good news? What is, what is the gospel? They would flinch a little bit because they don't want to get it wrong. There's a little bit of fear. Maybe they just never have done it. So we're going to explore it. I've had lunches where people have said, Eric, like I've been talking to one of my friends, they're asking questions kind of about church. I think, they, I think they want to become a Christian. Like, would you have lunch with us and kind of go through the gospel? So I have developed the Gibsons and Capitol Grill gospel presentation. I've created the, the uh, Dickas presentation. If you want more of a low-calorie gospel presentation, I've got the Panera Bread version and some others. So I'm open if you need that uh, for any of your friends, but... But no, um, 
This is what, this is what the gospel has been, I think, boiled down to. We say God has created this world and he loves it and it's good. But then uh, humanity fell. Sin entered the world. But thanks be to God, he sent Jesus. He died on the cross. His blood covers our sins. And if we believe that, we can go to heaven when we die. Does that sound pretty good? Would anyone say that's not true? If I stood here tomorrow at about this exact time with a bunch of businessmen and women, I'd probably would get kicked out of the building. But, uh, but they may disagree with it, but I think most of us here would agree with that. And I would too. But I would say, it's, while it's true, it may not be true enough because you would never tell your story like this. You know what? I was born, uh, I grew up, have a family, and here I am today. People would be like, and? Like, that's the basics. But like, tell me more. Like, there has to be more to your life than that. And I feel that's what we've done to the gospel a little bit. And it's not malicious. It's not because of poor intent. We've just tried to express it. We've tried to package it in a way we can give it to people. I was uh, on staff with Campus Crusade, so the four spiritual laws were huge, which is essentially that very thing. And, and we saw people come to Christ like that. We grew them up in the faith. So uh, I'm not saying anything against it. I'm just saying there's more to the story. And when we learn to tell the rest of the story or more to the story, it gives you a different kind of confidence. And it starts bringing a significance to your life that's more than just going to heaven when you die because that version of the gospel where it's creation and then fall, the redemption, the blood of Jesus, and then consummation, going to heaven when you die, it means, okay, we've covered the first page and a half of our Bibles, and then here's where Jesus died on the cross, you know, so here's the beginning, there's where he died on the cross, so do you really need the rest of this? Yeah, we do. But that abbreviated story never gets to any of this. And I think all of it matters. It says the Word of God is living and active. There's something powerful, and it's the whole Word of God. And the problem with the gospel where it says, really, God loves us, we've fallen, and we need Jesus for his blood so that we can live for eternity. Dallas Willard calls it a vampire, uh, a vampire gospel. All you need Jesus is, 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 is for his blood so that you can live forever. And I thought that was kind of funny when I heard it. Um, but a vampire Christianity, a vampire gospel, if you will, it doesn't really talk about who Jesus was and who he is now. It doesn't talk about why he came and why he was so significant then and now. And it certainly doesn't engage all of these scriptures, which... I would say this is God's lifeline. If you want to see what God, the line of God, it's going to be these stories and the stories of millions and millions of other characters and people where God is working in history and working in their lives, revealing himself, sharing his story through them so that others would find their story in his. I want to read to you a couple passages of scriptures because there was a time when those first followers of Jesus told their story and told the story of God. And the first time they did it, 3,000 people responded to that message. <clears throat> and as they told it, it spread to thousands and then tens of thousands and beyond. Like we sit here today 2,000 years later because of the story they told and the way they told it. So I figure what better source to learn how to do it than to go to the scriptures 
themselves. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to read two kind of lengthy passages. Um, But I want to give you kind of the template. And the template is God does have a plan, that God did create. And God, God is working to pursue people into a relationship with him and to restore creation back to its goodness. And all throughout human history, God has been there shaping and working and nudging and disciplining and pursuing, leading us to its center, which is Jesus. God himself entering into the story. The author enters the story himself. And there is life. There is the death. There's the burial. There's the resurrection. Those are very important things, but they have a context. They're rooted in a story. Um, And then it's the exaltation of Jesus as now Lord and King, even today, that has implications for our lives and how our stories align with that story of his ruling our, our lives, submitting to him. That's what a follower of Jesus is. It's learning to be like the master. And so what I want to do, I want to read. Uh, the first one is in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to take a little liberty. I'm going to interject some things because I hope even hearing the story and hearing the context and hearing the stories within the stories, it, it might even... Uh, open up just how cool this book is of God's story given to us. In Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 14, this is a story of Pentecost where Jesus has been, he's risen, right? He's been taken to the right hand of the Father. He's been exalted. The Holy Spirit has just been poured out. This is something that had been promised for a while, for a long time, for centuries. And it has now happened Uh, And everyone, so Jerusalem would have been filled with tens and tens of thousands of people more than what its population normally would have for this festival. And the Holy Spirit comes out. Everyone's, you know, these gifts are being poured out. And the people watching thought these disciples were drunk. It's kind of funny because it seemed like kind of crazy stuff happening. This is where we pick up the story. Then Peter... Peter was, by the way, an uneducated fisherman that Jesus said, why don't you follow me? Peter stands up with the 11 and raised his voice. These were the disciples. And why were they at 11? Does anyone remember? How many were there? 12. Judas sold him out. And Judas has actually taken his life out of just guilt and remorse. He couldn't bear the pain. He finally realized the horrible thing that he did, and he takes his life. So now there's 11. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. In other words, let me tell you the story. Listen carefully to the story that I'm going to tell you. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, right? This isn't a tailgate before the Colosseum big event in Rome. This is like nine in the morning. We are. He says, no, this is, this is what was spoken to the prophet Joel. Prophet Joel is back in the Old Testament, writing to God's people. Joel was a mouthpiece telling the story of God to a particular group of people. And it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, meaning they will share the words of 
God. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter is rooting them back into a story that they knew, that they were looking forward to. Fellow Israelites, he says, Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you, and through him you yourselves know. He's speaking to the life of Jesus. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. You see, God's been writing this story for a long, long time. And with the help of wicked men, You put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. David said about him, you remember who David was? King David, right? This great uh, king for the people of Israel. God was their king and he established the kings at that time so that they would rule in behalf of God. Like the king looked to God and then he was kind of that intermediate person that kind of ruled the people of God. <clears throat> Old Testament, right? This is part of their roots. David says, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. And you will fill me with your, fill me, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Again, Peter is going back to the story. And then he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. I imagine Peter pointing like right over where David's tomb would have been, or at least in the direction of his tomb. This is a very real story that Peter is sharing with these people. He said, but he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him an oath that placed one of his descendants on his throne. More pieces to the story. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That would be the king. And he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Our story has intersected God's story. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The new story, the next chapter of the story is being written right now, Peter is saying. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all Israel, these are the people of God, the followers of God, let them be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, The story captured them. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we then do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized. In other words, it's time to change the story. 
of your life. It's time for your story to get enveloped into God's story. And baptism is going to be that way where we identify with Christ's death, his burial. We're going to lay down our life so that we can be raised to life in God's story. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, will, the Lord God will call. Friends, those words include us in this room and in churches gathered all over this planet right now. And with many other word, words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation, meaning don't live into the world's story, live into God's story. And those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's the story. It's a story that God had been written, writing for thousands of years. And the story, it's finding its completion in Jesus, not so then we can skip to heaven when we die, but God says, I'm, I'm writing another chapter, and I'm sending my spirit, my very power into your life. And the next chapters that are going to be written are going to be written out of your story, in my activity. And it's a story that needs to be told of what I'm doing, what I have done, who Jesus is, is this Messiah, this King. It's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and it's still true to this day. And God now rules through his church, through his people, and he wants us to tell the story of our lives and the story of God as we go. The life, the death, the burial, resurrection, exaltation, and the rule of Jesus as Lord and King through his church. I want to share with you one more story. It's just a couple pages. It's in Acts chapter 8. Because this story began in Jerusalem, but then it spread out. And you may say we're even some of the ones that it's it's spread all the way to uh, a land and a people that they couldn't even imagine or dream of 2,000 years ago. But here Philip is going out. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, I think that's interesting, right? Because it sure seems like God is doing a lot in the next pieces of this story other than just saying, be saved so you can go to heaven when you die. The Spirit is active, leading Philip, and I would say leading us still today. He told Philip, go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. He listened. He responded to what God was saying. He started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This guy was in charge of all the treasury for the queen of the Ethiopians. This is a big hitter kind of guy, and it wouldn't have been a tiny little chariot. It probably would have been this massive entourage. But here's what's so interesting. Um, This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Somehow the story of God had got into Ethiopia or wherever he was at, and he goes to Jerusalem because he wants to find out more of the story. He wants to worship. And so he was reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Isaiah is like one of the biggies in terms of the Old Testament prophets. In fact, Jesus quotes Isaiah more than any other prophet. Again, the story is not creation, fall, Jesus saved you, go to heaven when you die. They're always going back to the middle parts of the story, remembering and telling the stories of what God had done and what God had said. He was sitting there reading from the book of Isaiah. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and just stay near it. 
So Philip ran to the chariot, and he heard the man reading, Isaiah the prophet, do you understand what you're reading? That's not like the most brilliant of questions. Maybe it is, but it's a pretty simple question. I don't think Philip was trained in seminary and said, you know, and, and had all this theology. He just said, do you, sir, do you, do you understand the story that you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. He wanted Philip to tell him more of the story that he was reading. And this is the passage that the eunuch was reading. It says in Isaiah, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. That was written, what, maybe a thousand years before uh, the time of Jesus? Do you see God authoring a story, looking ahead to what he was going to do? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And this is what I love. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him about the good news of Jesus. Philip didn't say, okay, I got this gospel track, and like, that's great, but let me tell you about this. He just entered into the story where the eunuch was and brought in the story of God and showed him what God was doing through the prophet Isaiah, leading to the story of Jesus, which I believe he would have said probably just like Peter would have said it, telling the history of Jesus' life and all that had transpired to it. That was the good news. As they traveled along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And then if you have your Bibles, you notice it says verse 37, and there's nothing, then it goes to verse 38. Uh, there's different translations, and uh, the, 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 the um, original manuscripts had some, some, some had a verse in, some didn't, so they left it out. But here's what the footnote says, and I love this footnote. Uh, some manuscripts include that Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. Then the, Philip an then the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and eunuch went, each went down into the water. Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch didn't see him again, but he went on rejoicing. Um, and Philip went to another town. <clears throat> That just blows me. I love that story because it's so real. It's true to life. We see this, the story of a eunuch. We see the story of Philip. We see the story of God, and it's all intertwined together, and it happens in a simple way. This guy's just reading something that he'd never read before. Philip asks a simple question, and they begin right at that point and tell the story of Jesus. I'm sure Philip probably would have told him some of the story of his life, how he came into this relationship with God, what he saw at Pentecost, what's happening in the life of the church. He just shared the stories of God's activity. Why do I tell you all this? I tell you this because I want you to know your stories. I want you to tell these stories. Uh, I've given you those even two passages of Scripture. You can go back and read Right? But as you read it, you start seeing, like, I get it. God's been doing something all through human history. He's been showing up. He's been working. And he's doing it through the characters of the story. And you know what? It's now intersected my life, too. You can tell that story. And you can talk about the life of Jesus. 
bringing completion to this great story that God has started and now writing new chapters of this story that includes us 2,000 years later. What's interesting, in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus was taken up to heaven, uh, he said this to his followers. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's just going to radiate out. What does a witness do? They simply tell the story of what they saw, what they have experienced. I tell you all this is because your story, your stories, they matter. God's story matters. And how those stories have intersected one another, they matter. And they're filled with power because it's God's activity. It's the Holy Spirit in you, leading, directing, nudging. And we will, we will goof up along the way, but God keeps bringing us back. That's grace. But it's those stories of seeing God in our life and us just following him that there is power of the living God working in those. And so I say this for you just to have courage. Have courage to, to work on your stories. Get to know your stories. And you don't have to be a... I mean, Peter was a fisherman right, that didn't make it through school. And here he is just sharing the story of what he's witnessed, the story of his life, the story of who Jesus is, and it's changed the world ever since. Have courage, because all you have to do is share your stories. God will jump in. God will take care of whatever impact, results, or wherever it goes from there. We're just called to tell the stories. <clears throat> in the days ahead... This is what I would ask of you, ask of us. Let's work on those lifelines. Let's think about what are some of the, the highs, the lows. Just think about your story. You can pick one of those segments. Maybe it's the early years or middle years or more recent years. And just kind of write the names of those stories and then pick one or two and just write them out. What do you remember of those stories? What did you learn? Where was God in it? What was God doing? How did it shape your life? That maybe you didn't even realize it at the time, but now you can see what God has done in your life. So work on your lifeline. Tell someone. Share a piece of that story, one of your stories with someone this week. So you know, I was just thinking about back when I was a kid and, and I had this experience and, you know, looking back, I didn't know it then, but this is what I learned. I can see how it shaped me today and God was right there. This, this is what I think God did in my life. And in fact, it continue, you know, whatever your story is, you can share it that easily with a friend or literally someone at a coffee shop. Ask to hear someone else's story. Say, tell me a little bit. Tell me one of your stories. What do you remember? What, what, what was one of the turning points of your life? And then you could simply, like Philip, say, did you see God? Do you, do you understand what, what happened during that season? And it could just open up a life-changing conversation with someone. Let's say, look for opportunities to connect some of the pieces of your story to the stories of others. We experience a lot of common things with others when it comes to... Um, good seasons in life, to loss, to difficulties. Like we have a lot of common ground that all of a sudden what God has done in our life might actually God can use to bless or help bring healing or encourage someone else. <clears throat> and as you're given the opportunity, simply share God's story. Saying, I'm not a preacher, but here's what I know. God has this plan that he's been doing all through human history. And, you know, you can go back and, and read Peter. Look at the way he told the story and just share the story of God and Jesus and what it means for us today 
to still be in the story of God that gives us such purpose, such hope in this world that desperately needs more of those stories. Can we do that? Can I pray for us? All right. Father God, we just give you thanks for two stories, two collections of stories. God, the story that you have authored in our life, and God, the story you have authored and given to us in scriptures, which is your lifeline. God, you have a plan, and you have been writing stories through people throughout our history, and God, you are continuing to do that in each of us today. That is, that's awesome. God, may everyone here with maybe a a new sense of even excitement see the value of the story that you've written. May we learn from the stories that you have and experiences that you've put in our life. And God, may we give you glory. God, may we have courage just to tell your story because God, there are one, two, three, maybe thousands, maybe who knows how you want to impact us in the world through simple stories of you being in ours and ours and us telling yours. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said with some excitement, amen. Thank you.